So we've been on an adventure. Uh, we've been in the UK for 15 years. So I almost sound English, but I'm still Dutch. I'm big from my brain. And uh, we've just returned to the Netherlands. Oh, wonderful. So you've gone and come back. That's, that's really, really inspiring. Well, you must have had a really good English teacher. Well, well, I think you live and learn. <laughs> I say that about you because I'm an English teacher. And um, often when I'm, I'm doing lessons, I ask my students some nice things about themselves. And I ask them to tell, us, tell me something a little bit about themselves that maybe people don't know, a bit of a surprise, a secret hidden talent that they may have. Do you have a secret hidden talent about you that we might be enjoy? Um, I do, I do have many secret talents. <laughs> um, uh, of which one, probably the most unusual. I don't think anyone else would have this talent. Uh, I'm probably the UK's best balloon modeler in the room. No. What, what, like, kind of balloons? <laughs> Who would like to see that? I have a pump. You need a pump? I have a pump. I'm so prepped. Now, I spotted you hiding these yesterday, <laughs> so I feel this coming. I'm prepared. I'm not very sneaky. <laughs> Here we go. What are you going to make? Uh, can we set you a challenge? Or you, you have an idea? Oh. <laughs> one trip, one <laughs> Keep it quick. The Eiffel Tower. I'm from France. We'll hold out for maybe the end of the conference and you can treat us all on our way out. <laughs> the best laid plans. Come on, Barton. Come on. So we'll do it later, never mind. We believe you. <laughs> that was a shame. What I was going to make was a balloon sword for Liz, just to make sure that next time she's throwing around her sword, she won't stab Wonderful. Great, thank you. I don't actually have any other questions. Uh, but should I just pray before you speak? That'd be really great. Lord, we, we thank you for Vance, we thank you he's here, and um, we just pray that as he speaks, you would be glorified, that your church would be edified, and we'd be encouraged, and he would be encouraged too. In your name. Amen. So which one am I using? It's the wireless one. Correct. The one we have. I'll take this off then. Well, it's my privilege um, to speak to you about faith for finance. And uh, if you had told me five years ago 
that I'd be doing this session about faith or finance, I probably would have laughed my head off. Uh, I'm not an accountant, I'm not a businessman, I've never had money in my life, but I do have faith or finance uh, in the recent years. God has done some amazing stuff in our lives. And um, we're talking about planting churches, many churches all across Europe. Uh, and uh, what we're going to need to plant these churches are people who are willing to go and take financial risks and big risks. And we're going to need resources. We're going to need lots of resources. And uh, I think in order for these to meet together, I think we've got some work to do to raise our faith for finance. Now, interestingly, when you look at the life of Jesus, it seems like finance is never a problem. He does a lot of teaching, but you can never get a peek under the hood how it kind of works. Or do we? I think if we dive into the Gospels, we can learn a lot about how Jesus uses finances to build faith in the life of his disciples. And I want to look at you this morning, not at fundraising strategies, not at clever models on how to release finances for the church. I want to look at what it means to have faith for finances and how to use finances to grow faith. It's very significant. Now, in the West, we, we've probably been a little bit spoiled. We've, we've not really had to have much faith for finances because there was so much around. But our friends from the East and many places all over the world know what it's like to have to have faith for finances on a daily basis. And I believe we're coming in a season where we're, we're, we're in economic instability. And we're going to need to learn what it is to have faith for finances. Otherwise, we'll be quaking our boots, just like the rest of the world. If there's a financial crisis that hits the country, it's the Christians who should stand firm. Now, how can we stand firm? Not because we've got lots of money, but because we have faith in the one who provides in every circumstance. So, um, we're just going to work our way through some of the Gospels to try and find hidden gems about how Jesus uses finances to grow faith in his disciples. And it starts right at the very start. If you can turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 19, it's about the calling of the disciples. And it goes like this. Mark chapter 1, verse 19. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, I bet you've read this verse many times, and you think, oh, just imagine Jesus walking along the beach. And you imagine to be one of these guys. And Jesus says, come, follow me. And we imagine ourselves getting out of the boat and we follow Jesus. Now, that sounds like a great story, isn't it? Just for a moment, let's turn the tables. Imagine you were the dad sitting in the boat. You've given your life to a business, building a fisherman's business. And you've got your future hope right next to you in the boat, <coughs> your sons. These are your financial security for times to come. And here comes this guy along, Jesus, slightly contentious, and he comes and he says to your future financial provision, come and follow me. And they go up and they leave. What happened? Jesus ruined a family business. Financial security in that moment. That was a big cost to pay. But who paid the cost? 
the Father, ultimately. Now, as the call goes out, Jesus says, go across all of Europe. There's going to be a cost to pay. And it's not just a cost to be paid by the people who are going. It's going to be a cost to be paid for the people who are staying. But we can see there was a moment where they had to decide. Jesus was moving. He said, come follow me. And I, I imagine him walking on. And then there comes a moment. Right? You, you're either going to go or you don't. But he's not waiting. And we see many people where Jesus says, come and follow me, who didn't make the jump. We see a rich young ruler and uh, he says, what should I do to, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, uh, follow all the rules, all the commandments. He says, I have. So this is a man who's been following the law. He's been, he's been tithing. He's been giving. He's been stewarding his money well. And then uh, Jesus says, go and give everything. And then, and then he says, the young man went away sad. He says in Luke 18, verse 23, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? When the call comes to give it all up and go, it's a big cost to pay. And the truth is that not all are willing to pay. And there comes a moment where we need to decide. Are we going to go all in or not? There's little in between. And Jesus has compassion for the rich guy. Now we could sometimes look at the news and we kind of think we're kind of privileged in the West, don't we? We use that word, privileged. We're privileged. Are we really? If we look at Jesus' words here, he looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. I wonder whether we've got the right perspective. Because our culture is so rich, there is a much higher bar for us to overcome. We put our trust in Jesus. So who's privileged? It's a challenge, isn't it, for us? Now I remember this call coming to my life. It was many years ago, 15 years ago. I was a student, I was 24, uh, I was a physiotherapist, I was just qualified, my wife was a nurse, and we were living together in a flat, and it was probably the easiest time in our lives when it came to finances. We didn't have a car, we didn't have kids, uh, we, we, we both had full-time jobs, and we felt God saying, I, I want to prepare you to go and do a gap year. So we start saving up, and I think within a couple of years, we saved up 25,000 euros. I'd never owned that much money in my life. It was like, wow, we're living the dream here. And then the call came, and God said, I want you to use that money and go. So God called us to go to England to take a gap year. And I remember sitting down with my boss, and I was going to tell him that I was going to quit. And he said, oh, it's a good thing you've come in. I actually wanted to have a conversation with you. Um, after three years working temporary contracts, he said, I would like to offer you a full-time contract. I said, I'm here to hand you my notice. <laughs> and it was a clash. It was a moment. And it, it, it was, wow. This is, you know, this is career suicide. Like, right at the start of your career, taking a gap year out. But, yeah, I know, but um, I told him uh, how God had called us. And we went. So we went, and we lived off our savings. We were there for a year, and we had it all planned out. We thought, we're going to go back after that. Uh, and uh, actually, uh, they were very kind. They kept my job on and offered it back to me after a year. And uh, we had lots of friends waiting. The church plant had send us out to be trained, waiting for us to come back. And then God said, it's not time for you to go back. I remember being in a meeting like this, 
Lily Adams has prophesied and says, it's not time for you to go back to your nation. God has more for you. And we became the eternal interns. <laughs> for four years, we did all the training we could at King's Norwich, and uh, we just served our socks off. I was working in the kitchen, stirring pots and pans, and I tried to convince God that surely a man of my spiritual stature could be better used. He said, no, the kingdom is about serving. That's where it starts. And uh, for four years, we saw our, our wonderful savings going on. I remember after four years, there was nothing left. And that's when we felt the call to go to Peterborough. I remember arriving in Peterborough, and we had nothing, absolutely nothing. And um, right at that moment, um, we, 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 we kind of felt the cost of what it means to invest your all. We would go back in the holidays, and we would see our friends who bought new houses and new cars, and uh, we went on with their careers, and I looked at all my colleagues and see where they were at, and, and, I, and, I, and I felt this gap growing, growing, growing. And it became bigger each year, and more painful. And at some point I said, I just don't want to have dinner at people's houses anymore. <coughs> Let's just invite them to go to McDonald's or something like that. Just to, to I burned all my pay slips as a pigeon. It was just too painful to remember. Um, but we learned to be faithful paying the cost in that moment. And I, I believe that in that moment, an investment was made. Something was sown. And it doesn't spring up straight away. But there is a return. There is a return over years that slowly grows. Now, I wonder if God comes at your door and knocks and says, I want you to go. Leave everything. Would you be ready would you be ready to drop your nets, your family business, to go? Or are we like the rich men who Jesus had compassion on and was so knitted into his security he couldn't part? If we want to see many churches being planted all over Europe, we need to see men and women who are willing to go. When Jesus comes and he says, go, willing to drop their everything and go. Now, I was at the seminar of Diwali's yesterday, and uh, you guys were telling me, I want to honor you. Uh, you were telling how you, you've had a career of 20 years, 25 years, um, and uh, you walked away from everything. You established here, a big church, and you took a huge risk to go. These are the men and women that we want to see spread all across Europe who are willing to go to pay that cost. So I want to honor you for paying that cost. Um, Many of the people that we have coming to our churches, coming from the Ukraine, have just paid that cost. They had no choice. They were forced to pay that cost. But they had to leave everything. There's a willingness that we've got to learn from people like that who've gone before us. Now then we can see that the disciples give it all up. They follow Jesus. And, but, but he's still going easy on them. Because he's providing for them. And he has got a quite peculiar strategy in the way that he provides and resources mission. We read it in Luke 8. Luke 8, verse 1. It says, Jesus traveled around from one town to the next, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Jesus travels around 
And his financial strategy is some sugar aunties. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, imagine Mike and Dave traveling around, and they say, this is my team, and these are my sugar aunties. They pay for all the costs. We would have a few questions, wouldn't we? We'd kind of wonder, what's going on here? rather unusual. But these have been people that had encountered Jesus and played their part in a very special way. Now interestingly, the funding came through Jesus. The disciples were with Jesus, but he was providing the funding. And uh, for Jesus that wasn't quite enough, because he wanted the disciples to grow their own faith or finances. Now one of his nicknames to the disciples was, you of little faith. He was, he was constantly insulting them almost when you see that through scripture. He was, about to, he was about to change them. Now, how did he do that? How did he grow faith for his disciples to stand their own feet? By forcing them to take rest. It says he sent them out two by two. So Mark 6 verse 7 we can read. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits and he charged them to take nothing for the journey except for a staff no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics and no sugar aunties. They were to go with nothing. Now, imagine you being one of the disciples for a moment. You've been traveling around with Jesus, you pay that cost, and as says, go, I want you to take nothing. Not, not, even, not even two tunics, he says. I was, I was traveling here and um, and, and I was quite surprised. I met Chris at the airport, and, and Chris probably brought the smallest bag I've ever seen anyone travel with. Um, I, I don't know what he didn't bring, um, but um, hardly anything. But uh, Jesus says, don't even bring a bag like Chris. Bring nothing. Like, no clean underwear, no toothbrush, nothing. You go, and you will be provided for. Now that requires trust, doesn't it? Now, I wonder sometimes in our leadership training strategies whether, whether we've lost something of this nature. Conferences, all expenses paid, um, going on trainings and courses, we'll pay the cost. But there, there is a cost to be paid to learn how to follow Jesus. And sometimes when we lower the bar too much, we create people who become entitled. Jesus didn't do that. We asked a lot. He says, you can come with me and I'll send you on my business. But you won't get nothing. You'll have to pay for your own conferences. You'll have to pay for your own training. No breakfast included. I wonder who would show up to some of our training seminars if we, if we took that approach. I wonder what would be left. Who would be willing to pay that cost? But they did. They went on their way. Now the only way to grow faith is by taking risks. And the only way to grow faithful finances is by taking financial risks. I'm Dutch. We hate financial risk. We like investments. We like pensions. We like everything mapped out. Financial risks, we don't like. Now Jesus wants his disciples to grow their own faith to grow their own stories. And for too long, many of us have been living off other people's stories. 
when we talk to other people, we've been telling the breakthroughs of others. But we want to be telling our own stories. Jesus wants you to be telling your own story. Now, we adopted a little motto in our family that I think we regretted as soon as we took it. It says, we want to live in a way that if Jesus doesn't show up, we're in trouble. And this is how we try to live with ups and downs over the last few decades. Now, I wonder if that's true for us, true for our church. Or have we managed our business so well we don't really need Jesus to provide? We want to live in a way that if Jesus doesn't show up, we're in trouble. Right? That's certainly what the disciples did. Now, I remember going to Peterborough. We've landed. We had nothing. The church was very kind. They gave us a month's salary up front to pay for some of our furniture. And, and we had some big choices to make. I was to come on staff as a kids worker on a kids worker salary. I can tell you that's not a lot. Um, we had a small little growing family and uh, Simona had a real passion to be at home with the kids. And we looked at our finances and we said, wow, um, if Jesus doesn't show up, I think we're going to be in trouble. And uh, we looked at our budget, we mapped it all out, we carefully looked at what we could couldn't afford, and we made a deal with Jesus. We said, we're going to seek first the kingdom, and we trust that you'll provide everything else. So we said, we are not able to buy a new car when this one breaks down. We are not able to go on holiday, um, but we are able to provide us. So we said, Jesus, we're going to go all in, and you're just going to have to cover those. We made a deal. Now, I can tell you that until this day, I have never spent my own money on buying a car. God has always provided for cars. Um, and uh, we've, we've had holidays every year. God's been faithful. We got to know a couple, had a little house on the beach in Cornwall, and they gave us a week every year to use. God was so faithful. I can tell you so many stories in that time. When you put your everything and trust in Jesus, he will come through. He will use the little that you have and go for it. Are we willing to put first the kingdom? To seek first the kingdom? So many of my friends I've spoken to, and I said, I could never do that. Why not? Because I can't afford it. Yet Jesus says, seek first the kingdom, and he will provide. So often we get the balance wrong. Now imagine it's a, it's a little bit like a seesaw. There's, I think there's, in the Bible, it shows us that there's a partnership with God when it comes to finances. It says that our responsibility is obedience. Seek first the kingdom. And uh, God's responsibility is provision. He says, I'm going to provide for you. Now, if we obey, I'll provide. Usually for us, what we do is we kind of go, well, we, we kind of need the provision, and then I'll obey. And God says, but that's not how it works. He says, Seek first the kingdom, and everything will be given to you. So, when we start to wait until we've got what it takes, then, then we will have lost it. We need to go and trust that we will provide along the way. But that requires taking risk. Now, if we've been obedient to the call of God, we have got some bargaining um, uh, to do with God. We can say to God, I've been obedient, and you said that you would provide. I'm going to need something here. So when you're praying, you can, you've got some bargaining chips to go with for God. But if, if, if you've not obeyed because there was no provision, you've got nothing. 
You come to God and you say, God, I need some provision before I go. And God says, I told you to go. You've not been obedient yet. So um, provision comes as part of the deal. So we need to learn how to trust. When we obey first, God will provide. Now, I believe that when we look at the way that we invest, um, there's always a return. The Bible never talks about giving in a way that is like paying the bills. Giving is an investment. And an investment will come with a return. So when we give and when we obey and when we make sacrifices, it's never for nothing. It will come with a return. Now the guys at, at 3DM have done a great job at kind of explaining some of the capitals that we have uh, in our uh, provision that we can that we can use. So there's financial capital, there's intellectual capital, there's physical capital, relational capital, spiritual capital. You might want to add a few others onto it yourself if you want to. Um, but these are resources that we have that we can use to invest. And I believe when you use one of these to invest, you will see a return. Now, not always a direct return in the same currency. Sometimes it comes in a different currency. So we've invested four years of our savings and we had in return four years of training, many relationships that were formed, uh, God providing us with stories of provision. Now, we did not get that 25,000 back, but we did get something else back. And that, what we got, I think was much more valuable. And um, uh, it says in, um, in Scripture that we need to learn how to use what we have to invest it. It's like the, so many of the parables are about that, isn't it? Invest what you've been given, and there will be a return. I believe. When we are called to go, some of you have just paid that cost or have been paying that cost for many years. There is a Western sort of um, unhelpful little voice that says, you shouldn't, you shouldn't expect too much. We just give. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be expecting a return. We, it's ungodly to be kind of sitting and saying, God, I'm, I'm waiting for the payback. That's, that's not what Jesus teaches in Scripture. If you invest, you can expect a return. You can pray for a return. Now, what that return looks like, we're going to have to give over to Jesus, but we can expect a return. When you invest, when you go, and when you're called to go, you're, you're not a poor soul. You're, you're making an investment that will come with a rich reward. Now, when we see the disciples learning these stories, um, Jesus takes them on for a next step. So, first of all, he called them to go. Let everything go, follow me. Then he sent them on their way with nothing, and they come back and they're like really excited. They have experienced God's provision along the way, not just financially, but also spiritually. Uh, it says in Mark 6, verse uh, 30, it says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And it, imagine being there at the moment. Stories that were told, provision, breakthrough, uh, demons fleeing, healings, absolutely incredible. And then they're not, they're not even back a day. And Jesus throws them back into the deep end. He says, come away with me. We'll have some quiet time. We'll rest. And then this whole herd of people comes and follow him. 5,000 people disturbing their, 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 their little moment of, of rest. And uh, the disciples see this crowd coming, and they kind of see a problem in the making. They're far away. There's no places to eat. Uh, like we did it last night, we can't wander down the street to get a bit of failure. Um, and uh, uh, and uh, they say, we need to send these people away. And Jesus says to them, you go and feed them. 
5,000 people. You go and feed them. It's a little unfair, isn't it? And they complain. They say, uh, Mark chapter 6, verse uh, 37, he says, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wage. Are we to go and spend that much money on bread and give it them to eat? How many loaves do you, do you have, he asked. And then he said, go and see. And then they found out, they said, five and two fishes. That's a poor result of a search effort for food. Wouldn't you say, for 5,000 people? So they're not even back for a day, and Jesus throws them back in. Now they've learned how to follow Jesus, give everything up. They've learned how to trust for their own provision. Now God is teaching them to provide for others. And they look at what they have, and they've got hardly anything. Five loaves and two fishes. I mean, that doesn't even make a paella play, does it? It's, it's absolutely incredible. Now, what does Jesus do here? He deliberately sends them into situations that are impossible. Do you know why? Because faith grows in the impossible. You cannot grow faith in the possible. You can only grow faith in the impossible. And Jesus' strategy of teaching his disciples Disciples seems to deliberately and repeatedly send them into the impossible. Are we a people who are comfortable to willingly and repeatedly stay, take place or stand in the impossible? We hate the impossible, don't we? We like strategies and plans. We, we, like, we run away miles from the impossible. But you can only grow faith in the impossible. And Jesus keeps doing it. Now that's a little uncomfortable, wouldn't you say? If you are called to go and you've gone and you're in your, 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 your city and you've gathered your, your, your kind of three neighbours and a dog and you're trying to reach your city, it looks impossible. And everything in you just screams, I want to get through this season. I want to get out of this season. I want to I see a church starting to bustle and grow and, and move on and reach others. I want to get out of the impossibility, is what we say. But God seems to deliberately put us back there trying and time, and time again. That's why a paycheck from the States is never going to give you the breakthrough in the church plant that you hope. A paycheck from the States is not going to grow faith in your congregation. And Jesus wasn't looking to raise funds to reach the world. He was looking to raise faith in his disciples. And he used finances to grow faith. And God wants to use finances in your church plant to grow faith. And if he was to pay you up front, you didn't need faith. So if you're struggling and you're going through the grind, this is where faith is born. These are precious moments. We are to look out for that moment of faith. Now Jesus says, look at what you have. And this is five pieces of loaves and two fish. What is it that God's put in your hand? What is it that he's called you to? If there's a great incomparison between the two, you're probably on the right track. This is Jesus' way. But you're going to have to learn how to put the little that you have to work. Now Jesus says, faith is like a mustard seed. You don't need lots of it. But you do need to put it in the ground. And it needs to die for it to grow. Now, we came to a point in our lives where we experienced this. And um, we, um, we were living in Peterborough, uh, 
uh, we, we had a real passion to open our house and to do some fostering and adopting and have people with us and we lived in this tiny little house and we were we were praying god on this kids worker salary we're, we're never going to get there and god really clearly said to me he said i want to give you something that you could never buy with your own money but it is going to require you to trust me with everything you have now we've been saving up scraping by i think we saved up two thousand pounds a little starting deposit and we said to jesus said if we're going to be like doing it our way it's probably going to take another like 20 years, our kids will have left home by then. We don't need a big house by that time anymore. Um, he said, we're, we're going to need you. So we said, these £2,000 are yours. If you want to have it, just let us know. Um, and if you want to have it, um, then, then we trust that you'll provide whatever we need. The same week, a little lady in our congregation who just put out of her house, uh, well, about to be put out of her house, I'm talking to her and I said, what is it that you need? She said, well, I need to pay the rent a couple of months up front. I need 2,000 pounds. I remember praying a prayer. Something vaguely similar. She said, normally I think I need to pray about this, but I think I may have a solution for you. So we gave our 2,000 pounds and uh, we started praying. We said, Jesus, if you're in this, then we're going to trust that you will provide. If not, then um, um, we're just going to live in a rental home and we'll make peace with this. And uh, the day... The money left our account. We had a gift in return. Six thousand pounds. I was like, I think God's in this. <laughs> so we started praying, we started saving up a bit more. I think we made it to eight thousand, we needed ten thousand, we were nearly there. And I remember going to an RM conference. Um, Steph Liston was speaking. Uh, I've never forgiven him until today. <laughs> and, uh, I can't quite remember what he said, what the session was about, but he used one line and he says, Give it all away! And it just hit home. Not like a dagger. I thought, no! <laughs> Not again! I've been here already! So I, I phoned up someone and I said, God said, do it again. He said, are you sure about this? Like, no, let's pray for confirmation. So the same evening, Mike Pilavachi from Soul Survivor, he's doing the ministry time, he says, there's somebody in the room here. You've had a conversation with your wife this afternoon. Uh, and you've been talking about doing something very risky. And God says, go do it! <laughs> and I phoned her up and said, did you hear that? She was watching online. She said, yeah. I, 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 I think that's us, isn't it? So, um, so the, next, the next evening, we, uh, the offering came, and, and I wrote a check for £8,000. And uh, I, I remember the offering basket came by, and I, I, was, I was like, Checking out, my head said let go, and my fingers were just. And then I dropped it in. There was such a release at the moment I dropped it, such a release of joy. I cannot describe it. I came home, we were joyful, and we started praying. And I said this one so last time, 2,000, it was up to 6,000. So you think, do the maths three times 18, and that's got to be at least 24,000, isn't it? So we started praying. Nothing happened. <laughs> Nothing. Instead, we got a bill through, an unexpected bill. And I said to Snyder, it didn't work! He's cheated! He told us to give everything, and now we're stuck. And for months, we, we went. Unexpected bill, we, were like, we had to cancel some holidays. It was, it was not fun. And I said to Snyder, it didn't work. It didn't work. And then we came to a gift day at our church. And normally I'm excited about gift days, but this time 
I was like, I was still grumpy with God about this. And, and he said, and, and God, again, very clearly spoken, he said, you have trusted me with your savings. But do you trust me with everything you have? And I remember very clearly, he said to me, I want you to go to the bank, and I want you to take 150 notes of five. And she got about 150 people in our congregation. And this is going to be the first gift day. People are going to get some money at your church rather than giving money. And I want you to give your all. And so Simone went to the bank with a rather bemused bank attendant. Yeah. 150 notes of five, please. And then the bank attendant said, I'm sorry, there's not that much money in your account. And so Simone phoned up and said, well, just take whatever you can. And so she brought it home. And uh, we hunted down every pot and wallet and sock in the house that had some money in it. And lo and behold, we had exactly 150 notes of five. So we sat at the breakfast table Sunday morning with our girls. And we showed them the envelope. We said, this is everything we had. We're going to give it today to Jesus. Why on earth would you want to do that? He said, well, we felt God saying, give five pounds to everyone in the congregation. And, and so you're part of the congregation, so you'll, you'll get five pounds each. And that just solved the whole deal. <laughs> <laughs> so we went to church, and, um, and, and I... And God spoke to me, I said, I want you to preach about giving your all. And I want you to speak about the gospel. How I have given. God didn't tithe when he gave his son. He gave everything. Treasure of heaven. And I remember... It was a supernatural ripple that went through the church. It was a really powerful moment. He gave everyone the five pounds and he said, you can do with it what you want, but you cannot give it back. The gift from God is a gift. But go away and consider what you may give. In that moment, there was a supernatural spirit of generosity birth in the church. It was incredible. We've heard stories since then not seen before. We came home and um, we, we sat at the, the, the dinner table and said, tomorrow's Monday. It's our shopping day and uh, we, don't, we don't have money to buy shopping. Uh, we've never done this before. I know many people have lived like this. Many of the full wrestlers, this is a little hard to start off with. So we prayed to God, would you please provide what we need? And uh, the following day, I get a phone call from a guy who used to go to our church he left, he was one of those grumpy leaders, um, but um, he, uh, he phoned me up and said, I heard your story. I assume you need someone to pay for your shopping. I'm going to pay for your shopping. I remember going with my daughter to the supermarket, this guy went to have a coffee, and uh, we walked around with the trolley, and uh, my daughter said, so, so what can we buy? I thought, well, he said he's going to pay for it, so <laughs> anything you like. And, I, I remember chucking in all sorts of things. We did like Jenga stacking on a shopping cart. It was the most creative pattern you'll have ever seen. And um, we came home, this guy paid for it, and, and I remember it. My daughter crossed the, 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 the doorstep and she was holding two bags and she said to my wife, she said, she walked and she said, look what Jesus has bought for us. And she put all the bags in and uh, I can tell you that dinner time was a very different dinner time. I'm not taking your food for granted. 
uh, was a very powerful moment. And um, for us, it was a moment in which we learned that it's not about the return. You don't invest because you expect something in return. You invest because he is faithful and has given his all. And he will provide. He will provide. Now, ultimately, the provision of the house did come. Uh, Simona's parents very kindly lend us some money to uh, have a little mortgage. And uh, it wasn't quite the house that we were praying for. It wasn't quite everything that we believed. There was still something to hold on to. But God had birthed something in us that was much more valuable to us than the house. He had taught us what it means to have faith for finances. But it's faith in God and a Father who knows what we need. What is it that God has placed in your hands? What is it that he may ask you to invest? If you feel that it costs too much, I can tell you from experience that it's never too much. The Father knows what you need, and the greater the investment, the greater the return. Now from there on, Jesus goes a step further. They've learned how to leave everything behind to follow Jesus. They've learned how to stand on their own feet to trust Jesus for provision along the way. They've learned how to provide for others. Now Jesus comes to the end of his ministry and he's given his life, given his all, and now he entrusts them with his mission. Do you, do you hear what like, he entrusts them with his mission? The Son of God entrusted his disciples with his mission. Now, I don't know if you read your Bible, but um, when, when I read through, I can see Thomas who doubts, Judas who steals, we can see Peter who betrays, and uh, many of the others don't have glamorous stories either. The sons of thunder argue all the time. This sounds to me like a bad plan. If I was the son of God, and I had 12 guys who had just left me, and I was to entrust them with my mission, I would think this is not a good strategy. Right? Let's send some angels or something like that, some reliable forces. But Jesus entrusted them with his mission. And they were now to extend the call that Jesus did and go out into all the world and make the world into disciples. They had learned how to trust Jesus and follow him. They were now to extend the call to invite others and to learn how to obey everything that Jesus had taught them. Now, we believe that we come into a time where we're going to be seeing more in the future than we have seen in the past. For us at Relational Mission, we, we've held on to a prophetic word that in 20 years we will see more than others in 50 years. We are dreaming about a multiplication of church planters all over. Um, and um, uh, we, we, we have faith that God's going to birth something in our season that we haven't seen yet. The challenge is that if we want to see something that we've never seen before, we also got to learn how to do things that we've never done before. Because if you always do what you've always done, you're going to have what you always had. You've got to learn how to do things differently. And I believe there's going to come a time where we're going to need to learn how to make the ask. Jesus go into all the world and make them to my disciples. They were to extend the call. They were to go out and say, like we have left everything, I'm going to invite you to leave everything. Now when you start to think about 
giving and when it comes to invite people to um, to invest. There, there are some sort of kind of helpful and unhelpful dynamics that might that might get in the way. Um, one of the questions is to ask or not to ask. You see, some people would say, when it comes to finances, um, I believe in George Muller. George Muller prayed. He only prayed. He never asked. And he got everything he needed. That's an amazing example, isn't it? But the challenge is that there's also wonderful examples of godly men and women who have asked and done amazing things. So which one is right? Should we make asks of people? Or should we not? Um, it's a challenge, isn't it? Um, now, I've discovered in this process uh, a wonderful story. It's the story of Elijah. I won't go into all of it because I haven't got time. But um, God uh, uh, brings Elijah in a very difficult moment. There's famine in the, in the country. And then he says, go to, go to the brook and I will feed you with ravens. And what happens is Elijah receives um, miraculous provision from heaven. But he doesn't ask anyone. He prays and he receives. God doesn't need any hands. He does it. But then the brook dries up. The ravens stop bringing food. What happens then? God says, I want you to go to a widow. Now, this is not a sugar auntie. This is a widow. He says, I want you to go and ask. So he goes to the widow and asks. What does he ask for? He asks, give me some food. He says, I only have a little bit of um, uh, food left. It's the last bit that I'm going to cook for me and my son, and then we're going to die. Well, I'd like to have that, please. <laughs> Imagine a fundraising campaign like that. This is outrageous, isn't it? And yet, through his ask and her <coughs> obedience, God provides a miracle for both of them. They are both provided for. So it seems that God is pretty good with both. And you've got to need to learn which one for which season. Now, when we started planting a church in Naimeh, I felt God very clearly say, go and ask for the church plant. But we continued to pray for a house that... Uh, God promised, and we didn't let go of and God said, do not ask. So sometimes you need to learn which is which. So we've gone around and we've extended the ask. We kind of did our maps and we thought, okay, to plant a church, we're thinking, let's not think what we need to survive. What do we need to thrive? What do we need to have a good church plant? Imagine a plant that grows from zero to 50 in one year, with one full-time salary, uh, a building that we may need, all the cost to minister to people. What would that cost in the Netherlands? And we kind of did the match, and we kind of came to about 130,000 euros. Outrageous amount of money. I think the Netherlands is probably the most expensive place to be. We thought, you've called us to the Netherlands, so this is your bill, God. And we started praying, <coughs> asking, and we just did loads of asking. We did asks to our church and other churches. We, we, we led into it ourselves by giving, and God just, in a year's time, did a fantastic, amazing work and provided everything that we needed. Absolutely Incredible. I mean, we stood by, we watched, and God was faithful. Everyone said, you're crazy. 130,000 euros. Like, you're never going to get that. Well, apparently we did. Um, God did. Now, I believe that if we to plant many churches, we're also going to learn how to work differently at times. Now, I know that not all church plants start like that, and that's fine. There's many different ways of doing it. But we haven't got many church plants who do start like that. And in order to get going, we can't take time. We can't have every church plant take 15 years to get going. We need to see church plants multiply 
in ways beyond that. Now, some of them will, and that's fine, but, but we also got to learn some new ways of doing this and learning how to grow in faith for that. And one of the key things is, is that learning how to ask is, is a, um, um, uh, a quality of a son. You see, orphans don't ask, but sons do. We've adopted a little girl, and um, the sad thing is that she never calls out at night. The other day, she, she threw up all over, and in the morning, we discovered she, she didn't call out. Why? Because she had learned that if I call out, no one's ever going to be there. It takes years to learn that we're there for her. Now, if we're sons, my daughters like, have the right to disturb you at any time of day, particularly at night. That, that's the quality of a son and a daughter. And when we're asking God, we're, we're doing something that a son would do, not a slave. It's a quality of a son, and we need to learn how to ask. Now, ultimately, God doesn't need money to build his church. Let's get that right. We, we don't need fundraising. But he does need faith. And he uses money to grow faith. And he wants to use our investment to grow faith in our hearts. Now, I think when we kind of skip forward, I can tell you many other stories, but we haven't got time for that. Ultimately, we are not just investing because it's a good thing to do. We also are expecting a reward. Now, we moved to the Netherlands. We had a lot of prophetic words about the church plant, and we had prophetic words about our house. And um, we were praying and said, God, we, we've been faithful with what you have given us, but um, this is not the full fulfillment of what we need. And uh, God said, that's right. Um, there's more to come. And um, uh, I, said to, I said to God, when I, when, when I get to the point in Malaga, Morris had asked me to talk about, about finance. He said, I don't want to be telling an old story. I want to be telling a complete story, a whole story. And God said, yes, you'll get it. And so I remember we arrived in the Netherlands. It was the first day when we started looking at houses. And God said to me, I want you to give everything you have now. I said, God, this is a really bad time to give my everything. I've done it when it was just normal life, but, but not when you're about to emigrate your whole family to another country. God said, I want you to learn how to trust me. So the same day we visited our first house, we gave all our money away, all our savings. and said, okay, God, it's going to have to be you. And we started knocking on doors, we started trying, and nothing worked. We moved from one temporary accommodation to another. I think we visited 25 houses and no door opened. We were knocking. Um, I can tell you, when you're at the sixth accommodation, you put your kids to bed and they cry their eyes out because they don't know where they're going to be next week. And they have to go to school, maybe start in a new country. They don't even have an address to give to the teacher because they haven't got a temporary... Uh, uh, a place to live. I said, it's a big cost to pay. I know some of you have paid that cost or are paying that cost at the moment. And we continue praying. We said, God, you said, we've been obedient. You said, no way. This is like, this is going to have to be you. And I remember having a conversation with my brother and he said to me, he said, I can't quite work out whether I've got respect for you or whether I think you're a total idiot. <laughs> and I said, well, I guess God will prove which one will be true. If you go about your life, would people ask that question? Would they either regard you as a hero of faith or an idiot? We should be living in that sort of category, shouldn't we? And um, we kept praying, nothing happened. And then one day, there was a house that came on the market. Uh, I, I went to have a little look because we were just around the corner. 
This guy spots me looking at a house, thinks that I'm the estate agent, and he invites me in. And uh, uh, I said, well, I'm not the estate agent, but I am interested in your house. Show me. And uh, he, uh, he, he, he took me around the house, and uh, I had a dream three months before that about a house on a dead-end street with an older couple living next door with lots of bedrooms and bathrooms and a big garden and uh, a little bit of water nearby. Uh, uh, and in my dream, I remember uh, people were afraid that if you went swimming in the water, you got sick. Okay, okay. Um, I'll write it down. Now, I get to this house. It's in a dead-end street. The guy takes me through the house. It's, like, it's remarkably big. Um, like it's, it's got two floors above ground and one underneath ground. So it's, it's surprising. And uh, he says, oh, this is this older couple who's next door. They've just moved. And, and uh, I'm kind of interested, big garden, I'm thinking, wow. I walk to the end of the street, there's a little bit of water, and there's a big yellow sign on it, and it says, hazard, uh, blue algae, uh, don't go swimming in this in the summer where it's hot. I stand back to sign and said, I think this is it. She said, well, I'm going to say after 25 houses, we, we were not the faith champions going, yay, this like we were. No, indeed. <laughs> and, um, and we start praying, God, if this is yours, then give us a sign. And um, the same day, friends of ours came to us and said, we've, we've heard about this house. We would like to give you 12,000 um, euros to help you get the house. Now, we started to do the maths, and we found out that the gap was um, 80,000 um, euros. And we thought, okay, God, this is a big gap, but we've seen you do things before. So uh, it took the 12,000. We thought, I, I, I think this is it. I think we should go for this. So we, we did an invite to our friends and we said, guys, we think we've found the house, but we're going to need help. Now, I can't explain what happened next, but within three days, a hundred grand came through. I, I, was, I was just shaking in my boots. I mean, I spent a whole year fundraising for the church department, and in three days, we raised as much as we did in the whole year. It was absolutely incredible. Now, that, that was not due to fundraising skills. And that was God moving hearts. And um, it was everything we needed to pay for the house and enough to kind of uh, do up what we need to do. And so, um, in that moment, you kind of hear that little bit, you have a little faith. I mean, God comes through with such force that you're just shaking in your boots when it comes. Like, this is just like a stream that comes through. Now, all the costs that have been invested leading up to that come at a point of return. And I believe that in the West we're way too worried about returns. The Bible says that if you invest, you can expect a return in this life and in the next. And we mustn't forget that. Now, it doesn't always come when you want it, and it doesn't always come in the way that you want it, but we can expect. And I can tell you, my kids sitting at the front row watching this will have a story to tell for the rest of their lives. Right? Faith in that moment is born. So, um, I'm standing here sharing you just my story, but I have got faithful finances, my friends. God can do it. And uh, I believe we all need more of that when we see the kingdom released in all of you. We need to have men and women who are free from possessions, who are willing to go, who are courageous when they hear the call, says, I'm going to go, I'm going to invest my all. And we're going to need to have people who are willing to invest their all for the mission. I believe when the two come together, we will see faith being born and the continent of Europe being reached. I think when we talked about strongholds yesterday, one of the biggest strongholds in Europe is finances, security. And we're going to have to pull it down. How do you pull it down? I think David said by doing the opposite. 
really investing. So I'm going to leave it at that. Much more to say, but I just wonder whether we could stand to respond. I just wondered if the band could come up um, just to lead us at the end. Father, we come before you. You know. You know our hearts. We of little faith. But we're here, Lord. And we want to put the little that we have to work. So you will grow more. Lord, we want to invest a little bit of faith so we may see a return. Now, I just wonder whether you're, you're, you're willing to open your hands for a moment. Now, I felt God landing a question with us this morning. Is it, what's, what's in your hands? What have I given to you? Are you willing? Invest your all. Have you got trust to come and follow me? To invest your all. Now, if we keep looking at a little bit in our hands, it'll be very hard. It's like me trying to let go of that check. And I feel God saying, "Now lift your, lift your, lift your, with your eyes to heaven and see what I've given to you." Giving you all is a very little when you imagine how much I've given to you. Freely you've received, freely you'll give. And Father, we pray that you'll come and birth in us all the spirit of generosity that will go way beyond what we've ever seen before. Lord, we pray for finances to be flowing all around our churches, little stories of provision, people um, providing for needs in our church, Lord. We pray for big dreams and aspirations, Lord, where you throw us right in the middle of the impossible. Building projects and training others, Lord, that will just take us on the edge of our imagination, Lord. And we pray that you will come and grow our faith from the impossible. Lord, we pray for church plants that are released all over Europe, Lord. And we pray for the for the for the God of money to be pulled off its throne in the process, Lord. We pray that you will be glorified. Lord, through the way that we sacrifice everything that we go after you. Lord, I pray for those who have left everything they have, Lord. We may have had very little, Lord, but have invested all of it. Lord, I pray that you will come and bring a return. Lord, you promised. You said if you give your all, you will bring a reward. Lord, we want to take the risk and we want to receive the reward. Jesus, we pray, will you come and bring a massive outpouring of faith in our hearts to see the kingdom grow? beyond what we could ever imagine in Jesus' name. Amen.